This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. All right. It's been a bit. It's been a lot of while. Um, apologies uh, that it's it's been a little inconsistent here lately because of work schedules and vacations and all kinds of other stuff that makes our busy schedules um, and that makes our schedules busy, I should say. Um, and uh, and even us, Hunter and Thomas, I noticed last week they were late too. So it was kind of a perfect storm. We were all like, uh oh. Um, we're a little late on getting podcasts out this week, but, um, that doesn't mean that we're not continuing to do this, um, land management stuff. I think that's one thing too, the huge, big benefit to everybody from our end is like, this is Land and Legacy is full time. So it's like, it's not that we're stepping away and going to our primary business. Um, it's not that we stepped away and our, our other business got busy. Um, the boss didn't call. <laughs> yeah, the 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 rains didn't get wrung down on us. Um, we're just busy with other parts of our business. There's a couple things we have in the works that we're really excited about um, that are are taking some time here lately. That I think will be a big benefit to everyone. Um, one thing too that uh, I wanted to add before we do it is we are now attempting. And and if all fails on this one, I'm gonna smash a computer and cancel cancel every subscription I have. Um, but we are attempting to get more video content from the podcast side, so you'll see more tidbits or more clips of our podcast on social media. Uh, hopefully in the in the future, as we move forward. Um, but yeah, it's been a very interesting um, couple of weeks, and I know we've got a topic here that is. Uh, about food plots um, that I know is uh, it's going to be fun. Matt, you want to jump in? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this topic. We've hinted around um, and covered similar similar topics to this in, in the past, um, specifically the Soil Health podcast series that we did last year and then various other topics throughout this summer. Um, and obviously this all comes on the heels of what we see in the field, we see challenges, we talk to people, we hear their stories, um, and we we know like what issues are arising for a lot of people. And so that's what this podcast is meant for, is, is to help and provide additional assistance and education to um, what will be um, very, as a informational to those people who need the extra assistance. So um, that's the whole purpose of this podcast. And so we say that um, going into this recording, you may have heard us talk about it in the past, but we need to continue to have these types of conversations because they're still seeing issues, we're still seeing troubles. And, And food plots by this point in the grand scheme of things shouldn't be something that a lot of people are struggling with to the degree that they are struggling with. So um, there is 
such thing as too much information out there, right? Um, there's a lot, a lot of analysis paralysis and a lot of buying into um, philosophies and thoughts um, that at the end of the day, <clears throat> they sound very, very good, but are they are they producing the results that we really want as land managers and as hunters? Uh, and I think that's where we really need to come down to and ask that that question are we really getting the results? Like what, what is the base foundation and the purpose of having food plots? So that is really what we're going to be covering and discussing this week for um, the podcast. So uh, if, if you're someone who wants to talk annual food plots, you're someone who wants to talk perennial food plots, establishment, fertilization, um, amendments, preparation, maintenance, this podcast is is for you, and we want to be able to um, you know highlight things. Yes, we, we have to talk about things not to do or or things to um, distract you from the, the 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 purpose and the intent of those food plot acres. So um, we're going to cover a lot of that this week, um, and so we hopeful we are hopeful that it's going to be educational for you um, and that it's going to be a positive. Um, podcast that you guys can learn from. So um, before we jump in to this podcast, um, we're going to give a quick shout out to uh, partners over at Whitetail Properties. And guys, if you're in the um, purchasing or the selling of property, oh, you owe it to yourself and that property to have the professionals in the business do that buying and selling for you. They are um, a big part of this podcast. They're a big part of Landed Legacy and supporting us. And um, guys, that that company is, is put together by a lot of amazing agents and great leadership at the head of it. And um, they support us. We support them and uh, ask that you guys do the same. Consider them in your buying and selling of recreational real estate. All righty, Adam, are you uh, you ready to jump into today's, today's topic? Unmute, unmute yourself. I'm back. Um, there you are. Yeah, you know, uh, recording this one during nap time, my wife had to run out and run some errands. I'm like, oh, it's fine. Kids are going to be sleeping for at least two hours. And I looked over at the monitor, and I have two of them on mute sitting right next to me. And I look over at the monitor, and I don't see my oldest in her bed. And I'm like, uh-oh. And I'm like, I know what's happening. She's running through the house. She's coming to the door. And so I'm like, Matt, I'm trying to give you the signs. You better roll with it. And about that I, uh, time, I muted it, and she opened the door. So this, 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 that's that's not the first time that's happened. But honestly, I thought we were walking ourselves into a horror movie because there's this little in the in the faded background, this little girl in a in a white gown. <laughs> I'm like, is this a horror back? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Oh goodness, it's not October yet. But man, I was like, oh, this is this yeah. is. Uh, that's a little, little Maya back here. Yeah. Um, so we've got we've got a big intro into the podcast. We've got a um, a a, a um, little plug for Whitetail Properties. Let's yeah. dive into the meat and potatoes yeah. of of what it is that we're seeing um, and and what what we're um, see, seeing in the field. What 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 are the struggles here for? Yeah. Um, so everybody, so, you know, as we're landing legacy, we've been around doing this podcast for a long time now. And I think general theme that most people understand about this is we talk more, this is more natural resource management than it is, um, 
hunting and we try to talk about the confusion that people have with uh, hunting strategy is not habitat management and so one of the big things um, unfortunately though is food plots is like number one thing for a lot of people when it comes to their farms and when they're focused so much on food plots um, therefore lots of questions come up so we get asked questions time and time again about food plots and so we talk a lot about food plots because it is a is a very common um, a very common question or theme of questions that we get so we try to our goal is to help landowners and if their biggest challenges are coming from food plots because that's what they do the most we try to answer those questions um, it's like the most entry-level basic like every land land manager who's a hunter just wants to do food plots so like it always comes up and and, and there should be a part of a plan but we're not going to focus today on the fact that like what percent of the plan but but we're saying in today's podcast to whatever degree you are planting to whatever degree you're trying to promote high quality additional supplemental forage on a farm make sure you're doing it and your efforts are worthwhile like make sure that's actually achieving that purpose and that role and not being additional time and, and a waste of time and a waste of resources that could be going into something that is going to promote wildlife on a property as opposed to rob your time, rob your your pocketbook um, for very little benefit. And rob your mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it, one of the big things that I think that kind of, for me, the hook at the beginning of this is there's been an ever-growing trend um, this is not a topic, kind of the elephant in the room when we start talking about food plots is in this day and age, it feels like, well, do you care about soil or do you care about deer? And I, and I think I want to draw a line in the sands for, for a lot of guys saying, if you are diehard in your strategy to kill big deer and like, because I think there's different groups out there. And if you're in the group of our goal is to kill the biggest deer on the farm, grow the biggest deer in the neighborhood. Like we want to kill giant five and a half year old deer. They're not in this soil health movement nearly as much as the other guys who seem to be, you know, uh, not to say that they're not killing good deer, but like a little bit more focused on big picture management. And those guys um, are really diving into the cutting back herbicide, cutting back, um, any kind of pesticides tillage. whatsoever, any tillage. They're like, I'm going all in on regenerative food plotting. And we had a great podcast a while back with Bronson and Luke from Mississippi State. Um, but that kind of movement has really uh, shook up the food plot world. And for better or for worse, Matt and I, I think the first, you know, we were part, when we were at Growing Deer, a lot of the first testing that went on, I think the first field that ever got crimped down there, I was the one on the tractor um, crimping sun hemp. And so we've been around crimping in food plots a while. So I feel like we're pretty well versed in, in that in that technique. Um, but and, we're and, starting and to see... And with blends. Yeah, and blends. Not, not just crimping, but but like the blends, blends yeah. in general. I mean, I, that, that's a big planting aspect. blends on a family farm... Um, <laughs> long time ago and so uh i say all that to say 
we're seeing more and more people that are going into that world that are doing the crimping and doing all that. And, and I, and I, this is kind of one of the things why I keep circling back on this is because, and this is kind of my, my hook, if you will, I'm seeing guys with bigger lists of equipment, more money into drills and crimpers that have worse food plots, worse production out of their food plot than guys with the little disc on the back of a four wheeler and a bag of, and a whirlwind spreader. And, Hundred percent. It it is more about the approach than it is what you're using in the approach, by far. I, and like, and, and it kind of comes like this, like, because I think the 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 disguise, and I and I hate to say that, but that's kind of what I feel like. It's a feel good, feel good practice where guys are like, well, I'm sure. building soil, and I put that in air quotes. I'm building soil, and so therefore I'm doing good. But when their food plot is chocked full of ryegrass or crabgrass or goosegrass or um, any cerisa uh, lespediza, I'm going. I don't know really how how benefit you or how much benefit you really are providing the landscape. It kind of looks like you're providing a seed bed for noxious weeds to to make seed and then go spread everywhere else. So I I I feel like with each passing day, with each passing time that i visit a landowner who's really adopted he's got the crimper and the drill i become more and more turned off to that system or to that approach where they're trying to eliminate herbicide and so today's podcast is kind of like pump the brakes on everything that you've set in stone that you will be doing on food plotting because there's always curveballs that are going to hit uh or curveballs that are coming your way that you should be ready and able and willing to readjust your approach and i feel like this whole regenerative movement is um creating a lot of problems and then you kind of talk and then we want to talk about shifting in weather patterns we're historically seeing rain and sept in august september now seems like july and august and it's causing problems for guys i don't think enough people are talking about it yeah i, I will be the first to say because we ended the pod, a podcast revolving around this topic probably mid-June, early July time frame um, with this is if this was going to work and this was going to be 100% necessary for the success and it did all the things that it said it was going to do do in, the, in this regenerative movement, we would we would adopt and do it because it sounds really, really good. Yeah. But in practice, it it has holes in the bucket and they're pretty low. And so we want to not talk about the the pie in the sky type approach or scenario. We want to talk about what why it doesn't work in the way that we um, think that it does, and and how we can still achieve very similar things without having to. Um, give up on the fact that like the the sole purpose of food plots is to feed deer yeah and other wildlife right like it's to provide the additional quality forage um and nutrition for deer and provide a place that attracts them to where you can hunt them more effectively like that's the purpose of a food plot yeah um we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in this and saying that you know yeah, we're, we have stock in Bayer or stock in whoever other herbicide, Corteva, and that we really want you to continue using your herbicides because obviously we want you to cut those back. But at the same time, 
that we can always have the argument and and say which is worse on your farm um using wise use of herbicides or allowing non-native invasives to go to seed and take off and establish in the area that's the big question um (laughs) and i know which one personally what i think is going to be more problematic um and so that's why i lean hard on using the wise use of herbicide and then continuing to use um other practices to try to continue to promote diversity um yeah honestly that's what makes me chuckle a little bit because and i know there's listeners that are clients of ours that feel like we're talking about their property and we're not but yes we are and i say that because yeah talking about a long list of properties that we visited in the last 12 months i bet i've talked to seen pictures or have seen a farm that is implemented and said we've cut out herbicide but now we have worse weed problems and i bet it's over a dozen times for me and i know it's probably very similar for you matt and then you go back to some of the early adapters adopters of uh of the crimping and and limited herbicide from clients of ours um that we visited i know one of them in 2018 and i i haven't heard i don't know i I don't assume he's still using that that crimper i know after year two years there was a client that was like no this ain't working and so i I would say that there have has been number one if, if the shoe fits um, it doesn't, the shoe doesn't just fit for you. So if this conversation resonates with you, there, there, there's a lot of other people who it's going to resonate to. All right. So we're not picking on anybody in particular, but at the, at the same time frame, I know, I feel like I know people who the early adopters more have, more have gone back to the original approach that they left from a food plot standpoint, yeah. um, then stuck with the program, uh, for, you know, let's say more than the three-year time frame because the results were less than um, promised, promoted, and or the difficulties of the technique um, proved, proved challenging, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I just, I think at the same time, like we, we have all these different technologies that we can utilize and there needs to be better discernment around or to landowners for landowners to make of of when to utilize those technologies technology and herbicides technology in drills and in um cultivation practices like we have so much information out there but but you just have to know how to siphle through it and then apply what makes the most sense to you based on those goals that you have and again i'm assuming this that the base goal, the foundational goal from a food plot is to provide that supplemental forage. And I think that that's very, um, very, very basic, but I keep saying that because it's very important in the conversations that we have with clients that they understand that is what they want, but they're, they're getting tripped up by having or stating things like, oh, I want to, I want to have um, diversity, or I want to have um, or, or grow soil, build soil in this in this specific manner, right? You can still do that, but the base still needs to be providing supplemental forage and high quality, 
high quantity like resource that are available. Yeah. That's super quick, important. Quick question. Do you have chickens crowing? Yep, there it is. Yeah. I heard it. Yeah, I better shut my I better shut my windows. Hold I on, thought me, there were sirens out and or the kids were yelling at me, and I, so I took my headphones off. I was like, is that somebody knocking or what is that? And then I, I'm like, I don't hear it. And I put them back on. I'm like, no, there's that sound again. I was like, oh, it's on Matt's end. Yep. I'm like, Arr. guilty. Arr. It's too nice of a day to have the windows not open. And I'm like, well, we'll see if that, how good that mic is. Yeah. But I guess it's good enough to we're pick them up. We're picking them up for sure. Um, All right, give me a sec. I agree. I mean, that's the... That's the thing to me about this whole process is ultimately I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, let's draw some lines in the sand. As much as I hate uh, trying to put everybody in a box or anything like that, but I feel like in this, in this, on this specific topic, a landowner should need, kind of needs to decide, am I more like, let's just say it's, it's 3% of the property is food plots. Um, and I'm really focused on harvesting big deer. I really don't think regenerative food plotting is should be a care for you. It's three percent of the property. Who cares if you're using tillage, unless it's it, causing, you know, like, creating massive erosion? But disking but it out, throwing some brassicas down, by all means, make it rain. Um, and then, but then if you're like, I've got a large percentage of the property which still is like, eh, probably not that large. 10% or less. I mean, if you get over that, it's kind of like, if it's more than 10% of the properties in food plot, it's drifting into crop country stuff. And I imagine it's just 100%. more, it's just more crop. And so then you go, okay, well yes. we can get into regenerative, but then it's really like, what's the point? I mean, we're, we're doing crops here, but, um, I, I the regenerative movement I think is for a guy who kind of wants to feel good process of it. But I don't know if that's going to cut it anymore with the amount of weeds that these people are seeing, that we're seeing personally. Um, I mean, no disrespect to these landowners at all. I mean, we're there to help them. Some of the worst food plots I've seen in the last 15 years have happened in the last two years with this whole regenerative food plotting movement. Would you agree with that, Matt? Yeah, no, I I certainly would. Um, yeah, I, it 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 resembles just a an an opening, right? Like it it resembles a, a very early annual perennial type successional um, opening, and yet it's termed a food plot. Well, you can call it whatever you want it to be, but um, it, the, the the wildlife and their usage in it or not is going to determine whether it's a food plot or not. Again, you, you can term it whatever you want, but when it comes down to it, like some of these things are so poor, poorly managed that, that I'm not saying it's laughable. It's, it's, it's disheartening um, yeah. because it, it's like, no, we've missed the boat. Like the, the boats over there, you're still on shore and this is not a food plot. Um, what what wrong turn did you take? Because we we've got to get back on track to providing this this resource, this important resource. Um, you know, I, let let me say this: we we state oftentimes, Adam, because this is our base on on food plots from a consulting and a philosophy uh, standpoint. Is 
we don't need food plots from a from a habitat management standpoint to attract and hold whitetails or turkeys or anything like that. Like we we can go rogue and not have a food plot on a place and still have very successful uh, wildlife deals, right? So like, mm-hmm. food plots are not natural, right? But but at the same time frame, like since when did we feel like as a as a goal that we have to per, like build soil to produce quality plants and food plots. It's like we just took things like to a whole nother complicated level that we didn't even need. And now they're like the food plots are managed so poorly that it's now doing the inverse of what the food plot was was supposed to do in the first place of like attracting deer. It's like you took things to a whole complicated level that wasn't necessary in the in the first place and it's so poorly mismanaged it's not attracting them, period. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't lie when I say some of the worst ones I've seen are are happening in the last 12, 12 to 24 months. Um, as, as people have, you know, it's really harsh. Uh, but I don't know any other way to say it. But you bought an expensive drill. You bought an expensive crimper. You've put, you've planted uh, spring and fall and your food plots look worse than your neighbor with a four-wheeler and a backpack sprayer and well-timed uh, seed application. Um, that's, that's, that's frightening to me, and it feels like for a lot of guys, if, if you, ha- you have to paint it in black and white for them, and once you really show them this is where it's headed or this is what's happening, that's when the brakes hit and go, yeah. <laughs> I know you may feel like everybody's doing this technique, but they're not. And the guys who are still consistently, I mean, this is making some assumptions. Let's just say you're you are shooting for, I want to kill the best deer on the farm. I think a lot of our clients, even though they may be planting food plots, caring about soil health, if you polled them and said, do you want to shoot the biggest deer on the farm? 99% of them would probably say yes. Um, yeah. And the guys who are doing that, who are going out and and like the Greg Glessingers of the world that have have really kind of taken the neighborhood and it's like okay the so, some if not the best some of the best deer that are going to get harvested in this in this portion of their county are going to be on their farm they ain't even regenerative ain't even on a on their radar it's like we're going to plant this and this and this and if we get thrown this curveball and that fails we'll go to this um, but we will have quality-looking food plots in the fall to shoot deer out of. And they will provide forage for deer throughout the fall and into the winter. And we'll roll with it into the spring. I, I feel like, I, I, as, we're, as we're talking through this, right, I feel, I feel like with the regenerative-minded, soil health-promoting type food plot, there's no like active contingency plan, whereas food plots, as you've talked about and have said a couple of times, or used the phrase, be ready for the curveballs, be ready for this. Like the, there's variables, there's elements to um, weather, to um, weed seeds, to so many different factors. Browse pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all variables that we don't have control over, but. But there's no contingency plan in a lot of people's food plot plan to to um, counteract that 
variable that gets thrown their way. It's like, nope, I'm doing this because this is what's important in my opinion. And, and I will rather take, I would rather take failure of the whole food plot than do X variable, right? Than to go in and spray, than to go in and intercede or to change up for a year or two and do a, um, a roundup ready crop to where they can get things back under control. It's like, nope, I'm doing this. And you know, the heck with anything else. It's like you don't have that contingency plan, yeah, to counteract or to balance back out, you know. And, and yeah. it's like that's not a plan at all, because because we're working with creation, and and there's nothing that's given that's a hundred percent absolute. I mean, like you better have a contingency. What plan. is the plan there? I, I as I mentioned the like the Greg Lessinger and Casey Morgan, his farm manager and cameraman, who, you know, we're doing the HuntWorks TV show with them, and and and. Um, it's on sportsman's by the way shameless plug um and it'll be on youtube soon but if you uh if you if you look at what they do it's like well uh, i was just talking to casey two days ago oh the food plots failed so i'm going back in and i'm fixing them well how you fixing them well i sprayed them and i disc them up and i threw out i threw out cereal grains cool it's just like we were throwing this curveball and we shifted and now we're trying to hit it back and at the did very say, least, we're going to foul it off and get ready for the next pitch. Um, and, yeah, I said Casey. Casey's not even in. Is that what you said? What would you say? No, I said, did you say disc? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. And Shameful. so I'm uh, – and what my issue is when I, when, I, when I talk to these clients that have really adapted and these, these listeners who have really adopted <clears throat> the uh, – regenerative type they're crimping and they're planting blends they don't really have an out they're like saying i'm planting and i'm going to crimp my fall and i'm going to drill in my spring summer blend or then i'm going to crimp that over as it's young and then i'll get ready to plant again in august um when's the when 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 the real world sets in, what's the alternative? And it's usually plant something else. I'm gonna plant in the fall, and then I'm gonna crimp in the spring, and I'm gonna plant my summer, and then well, what happens if weeds take off? Then I'll crimp in the fall, or plant in the fall, and I'll like there's no good out. There's no good option for solution. the curveball and and the solution that comes in. And I and I keep asking them this, and and these guys, they're like, well, it, I don't I don't know. I guess we'll have to spray. Well, I think we better figure that out because it's getting ready to happen. Um, for example, or or it should have already happened in most cases. Yeah, it should have already happened. If you look at, let's say, seed goes in the ground. I'm going to start playing some real world uh, examples of what I've seen, and and there are solutions. What we're trying to, you know, this podcast, we're going to offer some some timetables and some alternatives to kind of a more in-depth planting scenario for, for many of us. Um, but this is what I, I, I see is guys will have too many deer. This is kind of the natural progression. I have too many deer. I can't plant monoculture soybeans anymore. I'm going to plant a blend. Good plan. I plant the blend. I still have too many deer. And my blend that was an 8 or a 12-way, all the legumes get browsed out. Now I have 
a few millets and milo um, growing in my food plot. But it still looks good because I've got milo and millet. But you've got a Sounds lot of great. gaps. You've got a lot of gaps. What happens? Well, weeds. Weeds. And what are the weeds? The ones that love the heat. It's almost I say midsummer weeds. Midsummer the, weeds the that love the heat. So it could be foxtail for oh. you guys up in uh, in crop country in the north northern part of the Midwest and southern Great Lakes, um, or for a lot of us it's crabgrass and goosegrass. And this is where I'm. This is where I get really I, 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 frustrated. It's like Bahia Bermuda. Bahia Bermuda down sense. south. Um, if you get into a little bit cooler temperatures you're going to let the ryegrass start taking off um yep. and then even cheatgrass coming in oh yeah and yep. all because you thought the blend was going to solve your issues but um it it can temporarily but do not marry yourself to it and um and that's where i'm seeing these so now you go into july and you've just got weeds coming on and real, real quick yeah. real quick but the, the funny thing is, like, still, the whole purpose was soil health, right, in, in this movement. But, like, the deer have browsed, like, and that's still the goal moving forward. But, like, the ground is telling you that there's an issue when it's throwing out weeds and scabs to cover the ground. You're not improving soil health by allowing those conditions to persist where there's there's so much browsing that there are scabs being thrown out weeds being thrown out to cover the ground like that's not like again here's another sign that um the planting isn't really going to solve that initial issue uh for you so it's like we have to identify the signs um and, and the symptoms but backtrack and figure out the exact problem um that exact problem in this scenario is going to be deer density but like you're you're by planting that blend and by allowing essentially it to be over browsed, you weren't producing better soil scenario there. Yeah, it's an annual. You, you already missed the boat. It's an annual, and like an yeah. a, an annual grass, and um, that's got that turns into a monoculture. Crabgrass is the I haven't seen very much documenting it, but I have a very strong belief that it's aleopathic. Um, so even though it may die, you still have to let that get out of the soil. Um, and cause here's the, here's the biggest issue. I have too many deer, too many deer leads to, well, I'm stepping away from the current system and I'm going to a diverse blend too many deer still care. That problem still carries you into that next thing. Correct. And then because of that problem, that's now introduced another problem, which is weeds, lots of weeds. And so now you have, now you've got two problems, which is too many deer and too many weeds. Well, and, let, and let's not forget, let's not forget you, you went from the monoculture, uh, soybean thing, which, which you probably had weeds because they outcompeted, but, but then you took away the opportunity to control those weeds as well. Yeah. Because you've removed the herbicide. Yeah. Op opportunity yeah so so you you didn't address the problem by harvesting a lot of deer and then you took away a management strategy potential by going to a a high diverse blend so that one problem turned into two and now yep. you've got weeds and too many deer and if you don't address a deer 
and you don't address the weeds now next year we have just as many deer if not more deer and a larger amount of seed weed seed in the seed bed so then you go that you know that's year one now year two we're getting more seeds deeper in the weeds deeper in the weeds and the deer are still too many and it's just like it just compounds on itself and compounds on itself compounds on itself to the point where you're like Oof, I really have it's, to take a drastic step back to get back to anything. I, I've also I've also seen where someone's like, I need to doze out more food plots. I can't feed them. Yeah. I can't feed them. Let let's let's go ahead and and doze out more. Okay, that's more money out of the pocket. Yep. Or I'm, I need to start I need to start supplementally feeding. Okay, that's more money out of the pocket. I can't feed these deer enough. They're eating me out of house and home. Okay, fix the problem and stop creating more problems or more tasks or more money out the door for you because you never addressed the initial problem and you just kept going strategy technique from strategy to technique instead of really in this scenario identifying the root cause and addressing it yeah and for some people though that state regulations don't allow them to do that and then you're like well what am i going to do and that's where that's where we say do not be married to any one process i think let's just say regenerative food plotting to me is becoming the process for some people but it should just be it's becoming the tool and it should just be a tool hey sure you know this last two years i've done soybeans they're really starting to eat those down i'm not getting a lot of forage okay go to a blend next year you've controlled the weeds for two years go to a blend and kind of a to me look at it over that year and say you know maybe i'll go another blend next year or maybe weeds really showed up bad i'm going to go back to monoculture or i'm going to go to something else next year um and and to me that's just kind of uh what better time than now than to get into this little bit of a i created a, a a kind of a spreadsheet chart um just just recently to kind of just give a good quick look at options this isn't like do this this is kind of like kind of use a mindset like this use an approach like this where it's like um let's just say last year or this summer was horribly weedy i tried the i tried cutting back herbicides i tried some crimping i tried all that and i'm not really happy with it what should I do? Well, we need to address the weeds first, you know. And so year one, next summer, go into uh, go into it with monoculture soybeans. Knowing full well we may lose, we may, we're not going to have standing soybeans next winter, next fall, because we have too many deer. But we ad- at least have to address the weed problem that you have. Uh, and yep. so we need to get something, something to kind of fight that back. So... Year one, just go into a round, with a Roundup Ready soybean. If marriage tail's been a problem for you, go to an enlist bean, something that we can kill that out. Um, you know, you're going to plant in April, May, depending on where you're at in the world. Um, and you have options here. So maybe I'm going to spray two, three times. Maybe I'm going to spray one time. We're looking at the weed control. We're trying to address what's going on with the weeds. And then 
you can roll in in July and go, I'm going brassicas. And this is, to me, this is the thing I love. It's like, if I've done Roundup Ready Soybeans and I've cleaned I've cleaned out the weeds in early July, now I'm going right back in with brassicas like Purple Top Turnip and Rapeseed and Kale or Collards or collards. Um, any of these species that are in the brassica family. And I'm going in with them following these soybeans. And... And this is the unfortunate side because they almost have to pause on the chart that I'm talking about and address why we're growing more and more fond of July plantings of brassica because here in Missouri, September's now become the driest month of the year. And because it's the driest month of the year, it's really hard to get stuff established. There's enough cool, like today's September the 11th, and um, we're... I, what was it this morning, Matt, when you woke up? It was like, like 50-something, 50 mid-50s, yep. and heavy dews. We're having heavy dews in the morning. So it's sustaining these brassicas. Even though it's hot and dry, um, they're calling for some rain tonight, but even though it's hot and dry, <clears throat> these, these morning dews are sustaining these young plants. So if you're getting them growing in July, you can get through a dry September because of the dews. But if you're trying to plant in late August, it's hard to get established with morning dews. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, you you almost need to back the calendar planting date up and go. Okay, I'm going with brassicas in July, but I'm gonna hold off until there's good rain coming in September, so I can get my cereal grains cereal grains established. And 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 that's where I'm seeing more people make this air because they're going in this regenerative they're going in this regenerative path so they're planting blends so they're brassicas and annual clovers and winter peas and cereal grains are all mixed together and we've made mixes like this our, ourselves, but we've kind of almost taken back a little bit and gone okay currently the weather pattern is not really favorable for that let's put all that seed in the ground in late august and you're like it may not rain for three weeks. And I feel I'm seeing a lot of guys who are, are struggling with food plots because they're planting the traditional blend in late August and we're not getting the rain. And this has happened now almost seven years in a row here in Missouri, southern Missouri, where you're like, I don't know how many, how many years we have to endure this before we change up and say, let's do something different. That's what I'm saying. And, and I'm like... How many times, and I don't want this to just just sound like it's a Southern Missouri deal because it's not. Um, that's just where we both reside at and we've watched these patterns. But regardless, take full advantage of, of the entire growing season with regards to food plots and planting. I, the, the people who are unconventional, in my opinion, with, within the realm of food plotting are... Or, or, or not going, let's say, the mainstream route right now, um, are the ones who are actually producing the best food. And so, like, it, it's how many times have we always been told, you know, you got to plant your fall planting. Um, it's, you know, it's 45, 60 days before the first frost average. I mean, that could be a decent standard, but sometimes 
that's not going to work because you don't get rain. Like you flat out don't get rain. So like be a student of what's happening around you. Be a student of the environment and say, man, that didn't work for the past couple of years. I need to do something different. I can plant, I can plant, um, brassicas early or, or, you know, earlier, but it'd be a late July, very early August when those rains actually do hit and they'd be established. And then I'll come back with the cereals like you just explained, or I can go into a different situation um, and, and go more perennial crops and let those perennials pop back to life when I start getting those dews or plants and that's a drought resistant perennial. And I know I'm going to have food going into the winter time frame. Like those kind of thought processes, though, aren't allowed within that system of regenerative agriculture. It's like, here's the box. You, you do what's within the box, and that's, that's pretty much it. And that's not how food plot planting works whatsoever. Um, you're lim- if, if you're limiting yourself by the tools and the timing of certain tools, you've limited your success. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that's just where I'm... There's many problems that are rising with, with this process, regenerative process, and the weather patterns that we're currently in. And I mean... It's I gotta give it to Seth shoot Harker. Yourself in the foot. I gotta give it to Seth Harker. He's been the one. He probably. I used to plant brassicas in August, um, early to mid-August, and then even latter part of August. And I remember probably fifteen years ago, Seth Harker going, using that old farmer phrase, "Hot or dry, brassicas in July," and yep. it's like, okay. That seems kind of early. And then a year went by, and I was like, man. Those, he, those... he seemed crazy until about September 1, and he's got shin-high brassicas and deer piling into it. Exactly. Right? And you're like, okay, maybe he's on to something. And, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me kind of deal. He told me that. Year went by. Okay. Shame on, yeah, shame on me. And then another year went by, or shame on him. Then another year went by, and I was like, okay, shame on me. Next year, we're going to test it. By golly, spill out brassicas. This is kind of for me. This is kind of, this is with a glass shattering moment. Spilling brassicas in the gravel of the driveway in July. Going to have good seed to soil contact. You know what they say. And these brassicas that are laying in a chatted driveway by September are six, seven inches tall. And the ones that got planted in late August in a blend or early September in a blend in food plot with no-till drill are an inch tall burning up in the heat. And you're like, that just doesn't work anymore. I mean, that's like kind of kick you right in the gut kind of deal. Um, yep. where you're like, okay, though, the moisture is more important than the seed to soil contact. Now the seed to soil contact gets preached because of good moisture, because there's a better chance of having good moisture. But if it's dry, when you put that seed in that soil for good seed to soil contact and you don't get the rain, it doesn't matter. But if you yeah. get the seed on the ground and you get the moisture, it, 
it that's what matters it, it works it works like i i honestly feel like we almost have to go back to like elementary basic level and really make sure people know that it takes moisture it takes rainfall to make seeds germinate yeah i know that sounds so dumb and, but and it's, like it's not just to hear one that. rain that's the problem it would <clears throat> With guys that are putting the seed, because I've dealt with this. You put the seed in the ground right before rain in late August, and you're like, yeah, we got the rain. But if it doesn't rain for three more weeks, you've got enough rain to cause the seed to germinate, and then you've got the heat to cook it. That's it. So, yeah, it just it, and that's the worst kind. I would rather not germinate than give me some false hope. Yeah. <laughs> right? But so many people are planting and, and, and having entire food plot systems on on false hope right because they're not being a student and observational uh, and, and confining themselves boxing themselves into certain techniques that i will or i will not do mm-hmm. and and this is going to sound a little harsh but in the big grand scheme of things if you're in crop country um or you're not um and you're food planting your acreage um and we're considering erosion and we're considering these things your food plots are a speck in the sand yeah. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be soil health conscious, but your but your goal shouldn't be build soil soil health, but I'm going to do something to counteract those actions of other people or that you're largely contributing to this increased erosion or increased amendment type um addition to our water table to our soil t- you're a speck in the sand. I, I'm thinking of like some of those food plots that I see that have adopted this and there's no herbicide and they're in crop country and it's like, oh, it turned into a cerisa patch. Well, you're probably leading to that farmer having to use herbicide because the cerisa <laughs> yeah. is so bad in your plot. Yeah. 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 You're, you're the point of origin here. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's a harsh reality, but but it doesn't matter that it's harsh or not harsh. It, it it's important that it's reality and that it's truthful, um, because that is the scenario that we continue to see play out um, time and time again. And um, I, yeah, I, I we just have to think and be okay with a different set of uh, opinions and um, and opportunities. I think I think that's what the whole point of this podcast is and this journey of land management it's like we want to we want to be students of things and um be educated but man we can't forget about things that we know just work right like i'm all about adopting technologies and trying new techniques and again i really would like this thing to work but i've not seen it work to the degree that it makes it applicable to develop or adopt all these techniques it doesn't have that type of success um and so i will do things that are outside of these these bounds right of what's okay but i will have way better forage and tonnage than someone next to me that's doing that um what do you think, if I were to ask you, let's pin you in a corner. As, <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to ask it to myself, too. If I were to pin you in a corner and say, do you care more about filling tags or do you care more about the idea 
of improving soil. Oh. Because well, nobody's, I, 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 up until this point, no one has scientifically proven that they're building soil in a food plot scenario with this system. Nobody nobody can can bring the hard evidence out and say, we're building it. So up until this point, it's only theory that it's 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 being done. Yeah, and and, and those those controlled um, scenarios just aren't 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 there um, because of uh, additional additions and supplements and stuff like that to food plots. But um, the purpose, I mean, for, so for me, again, a food plot um, scenario, it is the the design, like the design, the placement of the food plot. Um, is all there and located because of the hunting strategy, right? So it would be foolish for me to say and and have all this strategy built around the location and the design and layout of edge feathering, all these things to say, but really I care more about building the soil of that food plot than I do about harvesting um, harvesting deer out of it. You think so? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So here's what no, I'm no, going to uh, say. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, I, I would rather shoot deer off of it. Yeah. But but I'm saying, like, just the nature of the food plot, it's like, you you, you can't really tell me that that's really your goal because, like, you did all this other work around it and, like, the, the design and the engineering and all these things, the architecture, I, I meant to say, um, was was to, to facilitate flow and movement through this food plot. But you're trying to care more about building soil than you do killing deer? Yeah. I would easily say I care more about shooting good deer out of a food plot managing the deer herd on a food plot than i'd ever do about building soil in theory um because and the smirk in my head was like all the scenarios because if i cared more about the soil and that and the environment in that specific spot it wouldn't be a food plot it would be natives exactly i like the, 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 and it'd be far cheaper because I wouldn't have to crimp it. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't be making passes over it every year planting stuff. I would just be like, I plant it in a mix of an, uh, of perennials and annual natives that have massive root systems, and I'm not going to touch it again other than burning it and removing a few invasives that pop up. It's like, why would we replicate nature and its systems to to do that if that was our end goal why not just allow nature to do that yeah like what we think we're gonna beat nature at its own game yeah negative negative yeah no the the, the purpose is is to 100 percent um supplement provide additional quality forage to attract deer to certain locations to to make them more susceptible to harvesting and figuring out that strategy deploying that strategy um i i'm I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not ashamed to to certainly say that at all. Um, that that's what makes. Uh, I don't know of someone. I don't know of some a, a client, let's say, um, who bought, who bought the farm to grow soil. Right? They didn't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to, to do that. Yeah. Right. I think everyone would agree we're not we didn't buy a farm to send it down to the send it down the Mississippi either. But we're well, not for sure. but we're not doing that anyway. Even the worst Correct. even the worst Correct. food plotter out there 
even if he was taking a two-bottom plow out there um, and doing it before a, a massive flood, it's not like he's... There aren't news stations down there in New Orleans saying, I don't know who's plowing upstream, but they need to stop. (laughs) It's a speck. And that's where I'm like, the worst case scenario for a a person who's like, let's say they're killing giant deer and they're destroying soil. The worst case scenario, it's likely less than 5% of the property. I wouldn't advocate for it, but... You'd have a hard yeah, time convincing that. him that he's doing things wrong when he's killing the best deer in the neighborhood. And for him, to, that is the pinnacle of land management. Yeah, I, I'm not at all and, and would never promote poor conservation techniques, right? Um, but but I'm just not going to marry myself necessarily to a scenario and say that's only what I'm going to do. Like... I, how many times have on the podcast here have we have we talked about speaking in absolutes? Yeah. Like I don't even I don't want to even want to talk in that matter of like this is what I do only what I do I won't entertain any other things much less am I going to to work with creation in that same like mindset of like this is the only way to do it and I'm going to do it until it works. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very bad strategy. Um, again, not promoting just sheer degradation of the soil here, but um, I don't believe, though, that broadcasting brassicas in July was a was a causation of of ma- massive amounts of, of soil loss. Nor do I think that planting alfalfa um, and and going perennial base or clover, for that matter, perennial base food plots was ever detrimental. Um, in, in a negative, negative way, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, it, it, there, there, I, I, I've used herbicide one time late summer on, on, a, on a perennial plot. Yeah. And I've got it surrounded by corn. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even spray where the corn was ever this year. Yeah. And have to. Yeah. For me, um, I think, once again, the the idea that you're improving the biodiversity under the soil is more important than the for sure declining of the biodiversity above the soil. That's or to lack me lack of diversity. Is like if you go down this path, what I'm seeing is there's the idea that they're improving increasing soil that's more important than the decline of the diversity above the ground and that's where it's like god don't i feel like i feel like healthy soil should indicate itself above ground too and if and if Above ground is nothing but a monoculture of non-native weeds. You'd have a hard time convincing me that that's more beneficial. Very hard time. In fact, I would probably fight myself not to laugh if someone came to me with the idea that that was that what they were doing in this strategy of regenerative ag. They said they haven't used herbicide in two or three years. 
and they showed me their plots and it looked like that, I would have a hard time not laughing, believing that that was the best way. I don't feel like we've found the best way in food plots yet. Um, but here's I feel here's like we can turn that... and say, though, that that we've seen this one. We've seen regenerative food plotting enough to know that that is not the best way. We can pivot from that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think there's been enough trial and enough errors to say, eh, that system's n- certainly not bulletproof. Um, but at the at the end of the day, too, man, I, there's not. I I think that the end, um, the end of the conversation just needs to end with. There's not one solution. There's not one technique from a food plotting standpoint. There's not this. There's not a system out there um, that that is like that's the only thing that you should use. There's yeah. nothing that that is that encompassing. Again, we don't manage the timber with like only hinge cuts or only hack and squirt. We don't or manage only with timber the harvesting. same type of prescribed fire every time. Correct. So it's like why would we look at our food plot system and put it within this box and these bounds and, and ask it to do the same thing and, and expect it to not kind of fight back or, or revert um, or, or push back naturally. Right. Yeah. Like it, it, that, that is, that is very flawed thinking from the very, from the very get go. But I think it's human nature to, to try and to ad, ad, adopt or hang your hat on, um, this this system that we're trying to do, where it's like, man, you can chase that and and you can you can go after um, what sounds cool and what sounds very good and nice, but at the end of the day, I'm more I'm more excited about the results than 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 a practice that you're following. Yeah, I'm more excited about true conservation. Um, and the results that follow that good practices and a well-rounded understanding of a landowner like who's applying various techniques mm-hmm. like to to me that that shows me that you're very educated cuz you you you're trying and you're understanding and you're watching and you're observing you're applying this here this there this and that scenario this at this time frame and not just boxing yourself into certain systems yeah let's call it i think uh you know uh, one thing comes to mind for me one real world uh, a couple years ago on the woodlands we attempted we just said no herbicide let's just see what happens and you if you remember matt we we had a a really good stand of a fall crop and it was the yep. Stratton Legacy blend and it looked great and so what we did was we just drilled soybeans right into it this is 2018 and I'll tell why yep. and why I remember that cuz I'm not very good with dates anyway but I remember that one um, so we just drilled soybeans straight into a, a fall crop in May no herbicide, no termination whatsoever, nothing other than drilling right through it. And if you remember, Matt, those beans looked incredible. We had Very good. great beans. They got hip, waist high. That was the year donuts was on the property, a 190-inch buck. Um, 
and I remember him showing up on that plot. That's the first real good video we got of him because our our jaws had to be sewn back on our faces because 190 inch in the Ozarks is pretty ridiculous. It's, be- it's because you didn't spray that. Spray. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and so we did that, and then the next year we didn't do it again. And we noticed by the end of year one, there was, you know, there was a few weeds. We had some mares tail. We had the the regular things, but nothing to be worried about. Some. Yeah. I mean, like 5%. Yeah. The next year, we went in with herbicide, or without herbicide, and we drilled soybeans again. And they were great as well. It was a little bit drier that summer, so they didn't do as well as a as year previously. But we noticed we started having more... Uh, the five plants of black-eyed Susan or brown-eyed Susans turned into 20 plants or 30 plants. And there was a few sprigs of cerisa. Yeah, okay. We probably need to address this. We started pulling some cerisa. We started trying to address it that way. Then the next year we did it again without herbicide. And it was like, okay, you know, there's some serious weeds out here. So we did a real patchy spraying. Um, tried to just kind of spray the heavy spots. That was, yeah. Clean it up the next year because three years was a stretch. And I so I kind of lean saying, in my experience, two years without herbicide is probably probably the max for a lot of people. Depending no, I, I on tend to agree with that. Depending on deer density as well, and the forage, and the drought, and everything like that, you may only get one, or you may get three. But I don't really feel like you're going to get much more than three years without a herbicide before you have to come back and and clean up. Um, and that's what, like, going into that chart. I know we're over an hour, so we probably need to start wrapping up. But it's like year one, roundup ready. Year two, you go to a summer blend if you got a lot of deer. Um, or, or, okay, so year one, you're going soybeans um, in May. In July, you're coming in with brassicas. In August or August through October, you're coming back in with your cereal grains. You're getting those established. You come back in the next May with a summer blend. Summer blend's great. You come back in with a fall blend, depending on what's in your summer blend. You may not even get a fall blend established real well unless you drill right through it, and you're going to have some really nasty, gnarly, a mess on your hands depending on if you're lab lab i feel like that's a pretty good indicator too if you have too many not enough deer or you have a healthy number of deer and you have a ton of lab lab and a ton of um cow peas good luck drilling through it because you're going to be so yeah. gummed up and tangled up that it's like pfft, lost cause you might as well just let it run its course knowing that you'll have some good success good growth in the early part of fall, but after a good frost, it's not going to be as beneficial as standing soybeans or standing corn or a field of brassicas or a field of wheat. Like you're going to have a bunch of dead looking stuff kind of standing. It'll be serving more as like a screen than anything. Um, but if somebody is saying you can drill through your fall blend or your summer blend, um, that probably indicates that there's too many deer for that food plot and they're hard and they're browsing the vining species so you can drill through milo you can drill through buckwheat you can drill through some shorter millets but you won't drill through a good healthy stand of a true summer blend that's got lab lab and and cowpeas in it so 
um, keep that in mind. The other thing too is, uh, so fall blend after the summer blend, um, year three, if you go summer blend, meaning this is year two with fall or summer blends year two, if you go summer blend, I would bet you're going to end up spraying it and planting Nebraska blend or cereal grains, depending on when you spray those, uh, spray that summer blend. And almost always you'd have to go back to a Roundup Ready crop the next year just to clean up the weeds. And, and after that, then I would almost go into a fall plan with perennials. I feel like that's something that is... I don't know why we sleep on it, because it's not very cool, I guess, but planting a good mix of perennial, like white clover and red clover, and alfalfa and chicory, uh, or just red clover and white clover, and then rolling in with... Rolling I don't know in why with, people don't like red clover. I don't like either. in the summertime frame. Red clover is amazing. Amazing. I mean I, the 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 nutrient levels in in the red clover itself, its growth rates, its heat tolerance. My goodness, there's some huge advantages from a food plot and like a nutritional base spring into summer. If you yeah. want a bachelor group, get some red clover. My gosh. Yeah. Spray it with clethodim and or 2,4-D or IMOX in the spring before everything really starts bolting and sit back and watch it go crazy. And and that's really kind of low low maintenance, very low maintenance compared to everything else, and incredible well, that, that's, forage. That's what I can't I can't get past in the whole mindset of this is like you can establish lagoon like perennial lagoon plots uh, any combination of all of that right mm-hmm. um by broadcasting and and then in most scenarios so you could whether you had heavy thatch before you could burn it off and broadcast um or or just broadcast like you, you there's so many ways to plan it and get it established right number one then your herbicide options are very large right now with all the options that you that you have to be able to control weeds and grasses in those stands um there's really nothing that that you can't hardly control um with with decent knowledge of herbicides but then three it's like that's a six or seven year crop when done right so so when we're talking about like actual time spent on the food plot but forage versus forage produced it's a winner when you're talking about browse resistancy it's a winner when you're talking about um, some heat tolerance, it's likely a, a winner with the right forages, red clover, alfalfas mixed in. It's a winner. Um, and, and you're not doing any soil disturbance for six or seven years in a perennial base. Yeah. Here, here Here's your sign. Like, I feel like we've gone years ago, Adam, it's like, it like a seven to ten years ago, it was just glorify the soybean. Like that was like the only thing that you could plant. Then it was like, wait a second, hold up. There's some blends being in the game. Mm-hmm. Now that's the greatest thing on earth. But it's like, why did, why do I feel like we missed just perennial plots? Yeah. Like again, the herbicide control options is, is, is amazing. And the, the tonnage and the forage and the window in which they are available. It's pretty darn awesome. Pretty yeah. darn awesome. 
But because you don't get to sell seed every year or twice a year <laughs> by promoting perennials. Correct. That's why. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Anyway. No, man. I To me, it's just been a, a dark cloud looming in my head. Like, oh, we got to talk about this. Oh, we got to talk about this. This is just such a such an issue. And, and um, yeah. So anyway, man, uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed this podcast. Hopefully we're helping some people on their food plots, uh, open some eyes or kind of helping them get over the, over the hump of going, okay, all right, I've done it and I need to, I need to just start fresh. Let's do it. So, um, kind of remind yourselves, ask yourselves, what's most important for you on your food plot scenario on your farm? Like, are you doing it for, because you want to have the feel good feel like you're building some soil or helping the soil or are you doing it at the end of the day are you doing this more to harvest more deer that's what i'm doing i'm not afraid to say it no negative guys hopefully that was helpful um love to hear your feedback on it and if you guys have tried anything else in your own neck of the woods that have worked really well um to kind of combat weeds and combat this uh mindset of soil health or bust Yep. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week.